Chapter eighteen of Abraham Lincoln A History, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Abraham Lincoln A History, Volume two, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter eighteen The Cabinet Cabal very soon after the effort to unite the cotton state governors in the revolutionary plot we find the local conspiracy at charleston in communication with the central secession cabal in washington james buchanan of pennsylvania was still president of the united states and his cabinet consisted of the following members lewis cass of michigan secretary of state howell cobb of georgia secretary of the treasury john b floyd of virginia secretary of war isaac tusi of connecticut secretary of the navy Jacob Thompson of Mississippi, Secretary of the Interior, Joseph Holt of Kentucky, Postmaster General, and Jeremiah S. Black of Pennsylvania, Attorney General. It was in and about this cabinet that the central cabal formed itself. Even if we could know in detail the successive steps that led to the establishment of this intercourse, which so quickly became both semi-official and confidential, it could add nothing to the force of the principal fact that the conspiracy was in its earliest stages efficient in perverting the resources and instrumentalities of the government of the united states to its destruction that a united states senator a secretary of war an assistant secretary of state and no doubt sundry minor functionaries were already then from six to eight weeks before any pretense of secession with malice aforethought organizing armed resistance to the constitution and laws they had sworn to support stands forth in the following correspondence too plainly to be misunderstood as a fitting preface to this correspondence a few short paragraphs may be quoted from the private diary of the secretary of war from which longer and more important extracts appear in a subsequent chapter those at present quoted are designed more especially to show the names of the persons composing the primary group of this central cabal and the time and place of their early consultations and activity extracts from floyd's diary November 8, 1860. I had a long conversation today with General Lane, the candidate for vice president on the ticket with Mr. Breckinridge. He was grave and extremely earnest, said that resistance to the anti-slavery feeling of the North was hopeless, and that nothing was left to the South but resistance or dishonor, that if the South failed to act with promptness and decision in vindication of her rights, she would have to make up her mind to give up first her honor and then her slaves. He thought disunion inevitable, and said when the hour came that his services could be useful, he would offer them unhesitatingly to the South. I called to see the President this evening, but found him at the State Department engaged upon his message, and did not see him. Miss Lane returned last evening from Philadelphia, where she has been for some time on a visit. Mr. W. H. Truscott, Assistant Secretary of State, called to see me this evening, and conversed at length upon the condition of things in South Carolina, of which state he is a native. He expressed no sort of doubt whatever of his state separating from the Union. He brought me a letter from Mr. Drayton, the agent of the state, proposing to buy 10,000 muskets for the use of the state. November 10. Beach, Thompson, and Cobb came over with me from Cabinet and stayed, taking informally a family dinner. The party was free and communicative. Tusi would not stay for dinner. Mr. Pickens, late minister to Russia, came in after dinner with Mr. Truscott, assistant secretary of state, and sat an hour talking about the distracted state of public feeling at the South. He seemed to think the time had come for decisive measures to be taken by the South. November 11th. I spent an hour at the President's, 
where I met Thompson, Robert McGraw, and some others. We sat around the tea-table and discussed the disunion movements of the South. This seems to be the absorbing topic everywhere. November 12th. Dispatched the ordinary business of the department. Dined at five o'clock. Mr. Pickens, late minister to Russia, Mr. Trescott, Mr. Secretary Thompson, Mr. McGraw, Mr. Brown, editor of the Constitution, were of the party. The chief topic of discussion was, as usual, the excitement in the South. The belief seemed to be that disunion was inevitable. Pickens, usually very cool and conservative, was excited and warm. My own conservatism seems in these discussions to be unusual and almost misplaced. W. H. Trescott to E. Barnwell Rett, Washington, November 1, 1860. Dear Rett, I received your letter this morning. As to my views or opinions of the administration, I can, of course, say nothing. As to Mr. Cobb's views, he is willing that I should communicate them to you, in order that they may aid you in forming your own judgment. But you will understand that this is confidential. That is, neither Mr. Cobb nor myself must be quoted as the source of your information. I will not dwell on this, as you will, on a moment's reflection, see the embarrassment which might be produced by any unauthorized statement of his opinions. I will only add, by way of preface, that after the very fullest and freest conversations with him, I feel sure of his earnestness, singleness of purpose, and resolution in the whole matter. Mr. Cobb believes that the time is come for resistance, that upon the election of Lincoln, Georgia ought to succeed from the Union, and that she will do so that Georgia and every other state should, as far as secession, act for herself, resuming her delegated powers, and thus put herself in position to consult with other sovereign states who take the same ground. After the secession is effected, then will be the time to consult, but he is of the opinion, most strongly, that whatever action is resolved on should be consummated on the 4th of March, not before. That while the action determined on should be decisive and irrevocable, its initial point should be on the 4th of March. He is opposed to any Southern Convention merely for the purpose of consultation. If a Southern Convention is held, it must be of delegates in power to act, whose action is at once binding on the states they represent. But he desires me to impress upon you his conviction that any attempt to precipitate the actual issue upon this administration will be most mischievous, calculated to produce differences of opinion and destroy unanimity. He thinks it of great importance that the cotton crop should go forward at once, and that the money should be in the hands of the people, that the cry of popular distress shall not be heard at the outset of this move. My own opinion is that it would be well to have a discreet man, one who knows the value of silence, who can listen wisely, present in Milledgeville, at the meeting of the state legislature, as there will be there an outside gathering of the very ablest men of the state. And the next point, that you should, at the earliest possible day of the session of our own legislature, elect a man as governor whose name and character will conciliate as well as give confidence to all the men of the state if we do act i really think this half the battle a man upon whose temper the state can rely i say nothing about a convention as i understand on all hands that that is a fixed fact and i have confined myself to answering your question i will be much obliged to you if you will write me soon and fully from columbia it is impossible to write you, with constant interruption of the office, and as you may want Cobb's opinions, not mine, I send this to you. Yours, W.H.T. Thomas F. Drayton to Governor Gist, Charleston, 3rd November, 1860. 
on the twenty-second of last month i was in washington and called upon the secretary at war in company with senator wigfall of texas to make inquiries as to the efficiency and price of certain muskets belonging to the united states which had been altered by the ordnance department from flint to percussion they will shoot for two hundred yards as well as any smooth-bored gun in the service and if rifled will be effective at five hundred yards but if the conical ball will be made lighter by enlarging the hollow at the base of the cone the effective range may be increased to seven hundred yards should your excellency give a favorable consideration to the above i can have the whole of what i have stated authenticated by the board of ordnance officers who inspected and reported to the secretary at war upon these muskets if ten thousand or more of these muskets are purchased the price will be two dollars each for less quantity the charge will be two fifty each if a portion or all of them are to be rifled the secretary says he will have it done for the additional cost of one dollar per barrel as this interview with mr secretary floyd was both semi-official and confidential your excellency will readily see the necessity should this matter be pursued further of appointing an agent to negotiate with him rather than conduct the negotiation directly between the state and the department i unhesitatingly advise purchasing several thousand of them there are many other important facts in connection with the above that i could disclose but will reserve them for some other occasion that i may give them verbally as soon as i can find a day to wait upon your excellency in columbia the state of texas has engaged twenty thousand of these muskets and the state of kentucky purchased several thousand last summer thomas f drayton to governor gist charleston sixth november eighteen sixty i have only within a few hours received yours of the fifth instant authorizing me to purchase from the war department at washington ten thousand rifles of pattern and price indicated in my letter to your excellency of the third instant i accept the appointment and will discharge the duty assigned to the best of my ability and with the least possible delay for i feel that the past and present agitation are ruinous to our peace and prosperity and that our only remedy is to break up with dispatch the present confederacy and construct a new and better one i will communicate with mr secretary floyd to-night and have the rifles put in preparation so as to have them for use at an early day i would wish that my agency in this transaction be kept private until i reach washington or indeed till i write to say the arms are on their way to columbia thomas f drayton to governor gist charleston eighth november eighteen sixty i have just received your letter of the seventh instant and i think i can render you all the information you desire without resorting to any agent if my ability can only be made to keep pace with my zeal i hope yet to render some service to the dear old state of south carolina thomas f drayton to governor gist charleston sixteenth november eighteen sixty I have been most reluctantly detained here by an accidental fall, and also by business of an urgent kind associated with the railroad. My absence from Washington, however, has not delayed the execution of your order for the rifles. The Secretary of War has had the preparation of them in hand for some time. When I write to you from Washington, had I not better address you through your private secretary? Please address me at Washington to the care of William H. Truscott, Esquire. I will give strict attention to your letter of the seventh instant, and hope to furnish you with much of the information you desire, for I am quite sensible of the importance of knowing the views and policy of the President at this juncture. Thomas F. Drayton to Governor Gist, Washington, 19th November, 1860. I called this morning upon the Secretary of War to make arrangements for the immediate transmission of my rifles to Columbia, but much to my astonishment he informed me that since he had looked over the report of small firearms, now enclosed, 
that he found he had laboured under an error in stating to me that the ten thousand rifles i had engaged were ready for delivery when called for by me he said he could have them rifled but it would take three or four months to execute the contract but suggested that we should purchase the ten thousand smooth-bored muskets instead as a more efficient arm particularly if large-sized buckshot should be used which put up in wire case capable of containing twelve of them would go spitefully through an inch plank at two hundred yards i was much astonished at the result of my interview with governor floyd to-day for he had not only informed me that the rifles would be ready for me on my arrival but told mr trescott so likewise and that if i had been in washington last saturday i could have got them if you will be satisfied with the smooth-bored muskets like the specimen forwarded to you i will purchase them better do this although not the best pattern than be without arms at a crisis like the present colonel benjamin huger can give you much information about these muskets this is derived not only from mr floyd but also from general j e johnston quartermaster-general who was president of the ordnance board who had these muskets changed from flint to percussion and also from smooth-bore to rifle and he says that for our purposes the smooth-bored musket is preferable to the altered rifle the why i cannot explain to-day i also send you a letter from mr trescott in reply to certain inquiries from me i am unable to make any comments upon them nor to add other facts which i will forward you more leisurely to-morrow w h trescott to thomas f drayton washington november nineteenth eighteen sixty private confidential my dear drayton it is difficult to reply specifically to your inquiries partly because i do not believe that the exact course of the administration has yet been determined on and partly because my knowledge or rather my inference of its intentions is derived from intercourse with its members which i am bound to consider confidential i do not regard it of serious importance to you to know the individual opinions of either the president or the cabinet no action of any sort will be taken until the message has been sent indicating the opinions of the executive and that message whatever it be will find our legislature in session and the convention on the point of meeting i think it likely that the president will state forcibly that he considers the grievances of the south that he will add that he does not think if the right of secession existed it would be wise policy for the state to adopt and that he does not think the right to secede does exist and then refer the whole matter to congress what he will do when the state does secede he has not said and i do not know nor any man i believe he will do as we will what he believes to be his duty and that duty i suppose will be discharged in full view of the consequences following any line of action that may be determined on but i think that as long as cobb and thompson retain seats in the cabinet you may feel confident that no action has been taken which seriously affects the position of any southern state i think that i may safely rely upon my knowledge of what will be done and you may rely upon my resignation as soon as that knowledge satisfies me of any move in a direction positively injurious to us or altering the present condition of things to our disadvantage when you pass through on wednesday however i will speak to you more fully yours w h t thomas f drayton to governor gist washington nineteenth november eighteen sixty mr buchanan while he can discover no authority under the constitution to justify secession by a state on the other hand he can find no power to coerce one to return after the right of secession has been exercised he will not allow entry or clearance of a vessel except through the custom-house to be established as soon as secession is declared 
upon the deck of a man-of-war off the harbour of charleston he will enforce the collection of duties not by navy but by a revenue-cutter as our collector now would do if his authority was resisted i will write you more fully when i return from new york where i go to-morrow at daylight at the suggestion of the secretary of war who deems it important that i should go there to make arrangements for shipping the arms should you still want them from that point instead of the city do send a copy of the list of arms at the arsenals to h r lawton milledgeville georgia i am getting some smooth-bored muskets for georgia like the specimen i sent you thomas f drayton to governor gist washington twenty third november eighteen sixty i arrived here at six a m from new york where i had gone at the suggestion of mr floyd to engage mr g b lamar president of the bank of the republic to make an offer to the secretary for such a number of muskets as we might require the secretary of war was reluctant to dispose of them to me preferring the intermediate agency mr lamar has consented to act accordingly and to-day the secretary has written to the commanding officer at watervliet arsenal to deliver five or ten thousand muskets altered from flint to percussion to mr lamar's order mr lamar will pay the united states paymaster for them and rely upon the state to repay him i have been most fortunate in having been enabled to meet the payments for the arms through mr l for i feel satisfied that without his intervention we could not have effected the purchase at this time i expect to return at daylight to-morrow to new york for i am very anxious about getting possession of the arms at watervliet and forward them to charleston the cabinet may break up at any moment on differences of opinion with the president as to the rights of secession and a new secretary of war might stop the muskets going south if not already on their way when he comes into office i will write you again by the next mail the impression here and elsewhere among many southern men is that our senators have been precipitate in resigning they think that their resignations should have been tendered from their seats after they had announced to the senate that the state had seceded occupying their seats up to this period would have kept them in communication with senators from the south and assisted very powerfully in shaping to our advantage coming events if any further quotation be necessary to show the audacity with which at least three secretaries and one assistant secretary of mr buchanan's cabinet engaged in flagrant conspiracy in the early stages of rebellion it may be found in an interview of senator clingman with the secretary of the interior which the former has recorded in his speeches and writings as an interesting reminiscence it may be doubted whether secretary thompson correctly reported the president as wishing him success in his north carolina mission but the secretary is of course a competent witness to his own declarations and acts about the middle of december eighteen sixty i had occasion to see the secretary of the interior on some official business on my entering the room mr thompson said to me clingman i am glad you have called for i intended presently to go up to the senate to see you i have been appointed a commissioner by the state of mississippi to go down to north carolina to get your state to secede and i wish to talk with you about your legislature before i start down in the morning to raleigh and to learn what you think of my chance of success i said to him i did not know that you had resigned he answered oh no i have not resigned then i replied i suppose you resign in the morning no he answered i do not intend to resign for mr buchanan wished us all to hold on and go out with him on the fourth of march but said i does mr buchanan know for what purpose you are going to north carolina certainly he said he knows my object being surprised by this statement i told mr thompson that mr buchanan was probably so much perplexed by his situation that he had not fully considered the matter and that as he was already involved in difficulty we ought not to add to his burdens 
and then suggested to Mr. Thompson that he had better see Mr. Buchanan again, and by way of inducing him to think the matter over, mention what I had been saying to him. Mr. Thompson said, Well, I can do so, but I think he fully understands it. In the evening I met Mr. Thompson at a small social party, and as soon as I had approached him, he said, I knew I could not be mistaken. I told Mr. Buchanan all you said, and he told me that he wished me to go, and hoped I might succeed. I could not help exclaiming, was there ever before any potentate who sent out his own cabinet ministers to excite an insurrection against his government? The fact that Mr. Thompson did go on the errand, and had a public reception before the legislature, and returned to his position in the cabinet is known, but this incident serves to recall it. To this sketch of the cabinet cabal, it is necessary to add the testimony of his participation by one who, from first to last, was a principal and controlling actor. Jefferson Davis records that, in November 1860, after the result of the presidential election was known, the governor of Mississippi, having issued his proclamation convoking a special session of the legislature to consider the propriety of calling a convention, invited the senators and representatives of the state in Congress to meet him for consultation as to the character of the message he should send to the legislature when assembled. While engaged in this consultation with the governor just referred to, a telegraphic message was handed to me from two members of Mr. Buchanan's cabinet, urging me to proceed immediately to Washington. This dispatch was laid before the governor and the members of Congress from the state who were in conference with him, and it was decided that I should comply with the summons. On arrival at Washington, I found, as had been anticipated, that my presence there was desired on account of the influence which it was supposed I might exercise with the President. Mr. Buchanan, in relation to his forthcoming message to Congress. On paying my respects to the President, he told me that he had finished the rough draft of his message, but that it was still open to revision and amendment, and that he would like to read it to me. He did so, and very kindly accepted all the modifications which I suggested. The message was, however, afterwards somewhat changed. The documents we have presented, though they manifestly form but the merest fragment of the secret correspondence, which passed between the chief conspirators, and of the written evidence recorded by them in various forms, then and afterwards, we have a substantial unmasking of the combined occult influences which presided over the initiatory steps of the great American rebellion. Its central council, the master wheel of its machinery, and the connecting relation which caused all its subordinate parts to move in harmonious accord. With the same mind to dictate a secession message to a legislature and a non-coercion message to Congress, to assemble insurrectionary troops to seize federal forts and withhold government troops from their protection, to incite governors to rebellion and overawe a weak president to a virtual abdication of his rightful authority, history need not wonder at the surprising unity and early success of the conspiracy against the Union. End of chapter 18